Welcome to We Are Unstoppable, sponsored by the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. I'm your host, Les Shapiro. And I'm your co-host, Vic Lombardi. Now, each episode, we'll bring inspiring interviews with great athletes, celebrities, and the most brilliant minds in medicine on how to beat adversity to win in life. So thanks for spending time with us as we bring you one step closer to becoming your best unstoppable self. Our guest is Dick Vitale, Dickie V, the former college basketball coach, the former NBA head coach, but he's primarily known for being the longtime college basketball analyst for ESPN. Well, Dick, there are a lot of suffering sports fans out there, but I'm thinking about you because you must be the the greatest sufferer of all. You not only lost your lifeblood, the NCAA regular season and the NCAA basketball tournament, but your beloved Tampa Bay Rays aren't playing baseball either. This has got to be a tough time for you, huh? Well, really tough, you know. When, when you think about it, uh, less than Vic, I I love being with people. So, you know, as I told a writer, do the story on me uh, just the other day. I said, you know, I'm just, you know, notorious when I go to a gym and do a game. I jump in a crowd with all the kids, act like 12 years old, and, and just have a blast. And you're right. I was looking forward to my raise big time because. You know, they won 96 games last year, and they're even better this year personnel-wise. So I really was looking forward to that. Just like I'm looking forward now football, I hope we can have that. We got Brady and Kronkowski. So your Broncos, watch out, baby. Well, hopefully that'll all happen soon. Dick, how do you think NCAA basketball is going to be affected short and long-term by this? Do you see any changes, or do you think once the arenas open up, we're just going to get back to what we're used to seeing from the sport? Yeah, no, I, I think we will. I really do. I think that uh, uh, I think the thing that's going to change a lot of college basketball is it looks like it went through the first step, and it's going to happen. From what I hear from all my people, the players are going to allow now to make some money off their name, off their image, and off their likeness. And I think that is fantastic because we've been living in the dark ages, man. It took the Olympics years here to come to reality that we got to pay the players to participate, and I'm just so happy they're doing that because. I think it now just creates a situation where you get a kid, he gets great marketability with his name. Why shouldn't he be able to cash in on it like a Zion Williamson, for example, last year? Uh, And Dick, to to follow up on that, um, so the NCAA makes its case, and now the NBA has a new policy for their G League, which they will start taking some of these high-quality prospects, guys who are one-and-donners. How much do you think that's going to change the NCAA? You know, that's a good point you make right there. That's a good question. I just did a a major interview with a writer all about that. I don't think it's going to have that much effect. I really don't. I think it's about a handful of players. I think a handful of guys who want to major in basketball. And I have no problem with that. If that's their dream and their goal, and they feel realistically they got that chance and that opportunity, and they want to do that, so be it. But it's not going to affect the game that much. I mean, even if we allow players, which I've always been for, that players out of high school can go right to the NBA, you're talking a handful. Remember this, guys. Remember this loud and clear. I'll tell you this. Number one lesson, Vic, the bottom line is, the game in college basketball is about the name on the front of the jersey, Kentucky, North Carolina, Duke, et cetera. The name is not about on the back. In the NBA, it's all about the name that's on the back of that jersey. And my feeling is, in fact, what we were just talking about a moment ago, I think is great for college basketball because now 
Now a coach can sit down. I'm going to let you dream for a moment less that you're a great player. And if you're a great player, I could come in your house as I'm recruiting you. I say, less. I know the G League wants to offer you four or $500,000 to be able to go play with them. Think about it. Your agent gets his percentage. The government gets theirs. How much is left? You're going to play in front of no people. Zero. They get no crowds whatsoever. You're not going to get name recognition. You're not going to get the marketability that you can get playing on a college campus, playing in big arenas. Guys like Dickie V will be talking about you saying you're awesome, baby. You're going to get marketability. And now on top of it, they're allowing us now that you could go out and sign autographs. You could do endorsements. You could make some cash. So I think that's going to help to deflate that scenario. And there's going to be kids, though, that don't want to go to class. There's kids that just want to play basketball. So so be it. Let them go. That's their desire. No problem. Well, let's talk about adversity, and let's talk about adversity in, in your life a little bit. Uh, around kindergarten age, you had an accident with a pencil. And I, I don't know exactly what the accident was. Maybe you can expound on that with us. But it, it made you blind in your left eye. Are you completely blind in the left eye, Dick? Have you always been completely blind? Yeah, absolutely. I can't sit on my left eye at all. I'm completely blind in the left eye. I, don't, I wear contacts. I only wear one in my right eye. But, you know, you, you bring back memories there for me there. Uh, Les, bottom line is uh, it was a tough time for me. I never knew what the word bullying meant as a kid. You didn't even think about bullying. You just thought it was a way of life. Not only did I lose my vision in my eye, I had a problem that my eye drifted on me. I never, ever could look you straight in the eye and, and feel that you thought I was looking at you because my eye would look another way and you'd turn your head. And it was just very, just, just cosmetically just frustrated me beyond belief. And then when I pitched Little League, and uh, I, I threw the ball hard. I mean, really did threw hard. And I was one of the better pitchers in all-star, all that jazz in Little League. And I have parents from the other teams yelling at our coaches, hey, does he know where he's throwing? Look how hard he's throwing. He can't. His eyes going all over. But I'd go in my room and I'd cry after Little League games. And my mother and father would come in and try to, to console me. And I'd see, I'll look at my eye in the mirror and it would drive me nuts. It all changed for me, though. When one day my wife came home and she said to me, she said, hey, hon, hon, I just took the girls to get their eyes checked, the annual checkup. And the doctor there, Dr. Giles, says that he's a big basketball fan, and he watches you on TV. And he said, has anybody talked to you about correcting your eye? And my wife knew the answer. I went to, I don't know how many doctors. And they all told me, don't let anybody take your eye out, because you never know what might happen. But nobody talked about correcting my eye in terms of the drifting. And he said, I could definitely straighten your husband's eye out. I can't get him his vision, but I can straighten that eye out. Now, I'd like to see him, and I, I don't deal with adults. I deal with all kids, but I will make an exception, and I will do his eye. So she begged me to go. I didn't want to go. I finally went, and he took me out of con glasses, put me in contacts. The scary part was he said, I have to tell you this. You're going to sign the papers that I have to operate on your good eye, to straighten the left eye out. I got to pull the muscle. Oh, my God, that that stopped me immediately. I said, I can't do it. I'm not taking a chance. My, my only eye, because he said, there's always a chance you can lose a little vision, but I've never lost vision in a patient. You got to trust me. Well, I trusted him, and that changed my whole life. It really did it. <clears throat> it gave me a feeling of confidence. I could look people in the eye. I could look at the camera and not have a problem. So that was really a big moment in my life. 
Dick, you've always been synonymous with basketball, college basketball in general. And um, before you became the voice of the sport, you were a coach, a very successful coach at the University of Detroit. We know about that. And then I'm reading about you and you talk about your insecurity with your eye. And it led to other insecurities. When you first started in television, when ESPN invited you on, you had some insecurity issues there. And I go back and read about this stuff, Dick, and I'm like, what? Dick Vitale? He looks so secure on there. He looks so confident. (laughs) Can you explain how you overcame that? Well, you know, uh, first of all, the thing gave me a little insecurity is, number one, I'll never forget one day coming out of the studio, and we always ask the receptionist, hey, anybody call? Because if they call, it means you're doing well. They're screaming and yelling what you said. She said, no, except this one guy keeps calling, and he wants, she said, I'm so mad at him. I said, what are you mad at him about? He's screaming and yelling. He wants to know who he can write to. He wants to get you off the ear. He can't stand looking at your eye. And that drove me nuts. I went home. When I got inducted into the Broadcasting Hall of Fame. Uh, Steve Anderson was my boss at the time. Was there? I told him the story in my speech. I said, Steve remembers. I called him up and I said, Steve, I'm done with television. I'm done with it. I said, my eye, I can't control my eye. Well, and then fortunate for me, right after that, he was very good. He said, we didn't hire you for your eye, man. We hired you for basketball and your enthusiasm. Forget that stuff. But it's not easy to forget. It really isn't. And fortunately for me, right after that, it just happened like God sent a message to get that doctor to look at me and straighten me out. And But that, you know, and then you go into television. I mean, I'm not a broadcaster. I'm a jock. I came out of a locker room. And they gave me a microphone. So you go out there and you got these critics writing about you. You know, he talks too much. He's loud. Some people better try it, man. I'm at 14 Hall of Fame. So, Dick, was there some point, was it the Anderson conversation or was there some other epiphany where, where you just said to yourself, you know what? I think I'm pretty good at this. I'm going to continue to be good at it. I'm going to become great. I'm going to become synonymous with college basketball. I'm going to wear these checkered pants on TV, and I don't care what anybody <laughs> says. And I'm going to use all this. I, I'm going to use the word shtick, but I mean it in an, in an endearing way, not an offensive way. I'm going to come up with this shtick, and I'm going to use PTP, and I'm going to use This Is Awesome Baby, and I am Dick Vitale, ESPN College Basketball, and ain't nobody stopping me now. Well, you know, the bottom line is what happened to me in 1983. I had a great, great boss. The guy that hired me initially, Scotty Connell, he came from NBC. He was a giant in the world of production. And Scotty would always tell me when I first started, he said, you got a gift, Dick. He said, I didn't know what he meant by it. He said, he kept saying, you connect. He says, you connect. Don't think about going back to college. You're going to make a good living doing this. And I didn't know what he meant by that. And me, when I was trying to get back to college, but I wanted to make sure it was the right school. So finally in 1983, I went to my first Final Four as a representative of ESPN to do all our pregame shows and all the, all the stuff that we did at Sports Center, et cetera. And when I went there, I went to Albuquerque to do those games where Jimmy V won the national title. I got people coming up for pictures, autographs. And he finally told me, I told you, you connect. What you say about a team, they may not agree with you, and disagree doesn't matter. They're saying, you're with Dick Vitale said yesterday. You're with Dick Vitale. And then all of a sudden, guys, 
I started getting offers for commercials and things just exploded in my career. Books, I started writing books and all, and it just was just took off. And I never ever thought about coaching uh, in terms of college. In fact, I coach every team in America. I tell people I got a better record than Shashevsky. He's got a thousand <laughs> wins. I got over a thousand wins, and I never lost a game because I always I have one habit I do every time I do a game. I watch the losing coach walking out. And when I see him walking out, I bless myself. I say, oh, man, I'm lucky I'm not him tonight. Because I know, <laughs> you know, when you coach, my God, if I stayed in coaching, my sister could tell you, my son, my wife could tell you, I would have been dead by 50. I could not handle losing. Dick, what was that one quality then? Because as successful as you are, you had overcome a lot of that doubt, that self-doubt, and hearing all these people say what – what was that unstoppable quality that drove you through all that? I think people that know me, I'm a fierce competitor. I don't believe in care. I learned that early in my life. My parents are still in me. My parents were uneducated, fifth grade education. And my mom and dad used to tell me all the time, don't ever, ever, remember Dick Ritchie it was, don't ever, ever, Ritchie, believe in cat. Don't allow cat to be part of your life. And then I would hear probably 15 times a day. And I utilize this a lot in my motivational speaking all over the country. I've been with the Washington Speaking Group for like over three decades. And I would tell, and I use it all the time, I would hear, Richie, be good to people and people to be good to you. I mentioned joking around with you about the Hall of Fames. I'm not any of that if I wasn't good to people because people were good to me. People have been so good to me. I've had such a great team with my family, my ESPN family, which is my second family. And over 40 years with them, just finished my 41st year. They've given me a contract basically for life. I mean, they've told me as long as you want to work, you're able to work, you got a job. And I would never embarrass them if I didn't remember names and I didn't know the stats and I didn't know what was happening. Hey, I'd be the first guy, man party's over, it's time to be sit home, and, and I'm done. But I'm 80 years old, I act about 14. Dick, you're also unstoppable when it comes to raising money for the V Foundation. And, and I know that you are particularly invested in research for pediatric cancer. So what, what's going on with that right now? Well, you know, we're hoping and praying. We moved the date of our uh, gala, my annual gala, guys. was supposed to be May 8th, but we moved it to September 4th. And fortunately, all the honored guests are still on board for September 4th. We just got to hope that we get a cure for that disease and vaccine or that we can have a crowd. We usually get 900 sold out, 1,000 a person. We raised last year $4.3 million. This year, my goal is $5 million. And, you know, you can help me big time, guys. You can spread the word. And I know you guys are unstoppable, as they say. But the bottom line is spread the word. My goal is very simple, $5 million. Should be nothing to do that. I want to get it done because all you got to do is go to dickvital.com. If they go to dickvital.com, they can make a donation and it goes to the V Foundation. You know, guys, as you and I and all three of us are doing this show right now, 45 to 50 mothers and fathers today and every day hear four words that no mom and dad ever, ever wants to hear your child has cancer and it's life changing. I know you've had a courageous battle yourself with us, but picture that with a seven, eight-year-old kid and a family having to live through the pain of watching the chemo and the radiation. It's a nightmare. Dick, this is the last one I have because I have seen you speak. I've had the pleasure and privilege a couple times of watching you speak in public. 
and I'm always amazed. You don't use a script. You're not sitting there on the dais looking down at papers. You speak from your heart, and you do it so easily. Uh, how how did you perfect that craft? You know, that, that is a big mystery. You know, it's amazing. My wife has said to me so many times, she travels with me on my speeches, you know, corporate groups or whatever I'm speaking at, and she'll see, God, I never heard those stories. Where do you get that stuff? You stand here. I don't know. I wish I could tell you, but, you know, I, I, I don't know if it's that I, you know, when I started in high school, this is amazing. Maybe this is the carryover. When I coached in high school, I would never begin practice, never, ever start practice without a story about something that was current in the news, in sports, or whatever, in life. And I'd give a 10, 15-minute talk just off the cuff about that. And I think that just really has carried into my life in, in, in terms of speaking. And, you know, I, I love doing it. I, I'm a, I love, obviously, you paid well financially. But other than that, because I make a great living on ESPN, I don't really need data. But I do it. I love an audience. I love a crowd. And I love doing my thing, which is talking about really a boy, a ball, a dream. Because that's what I was. They used to label that to me and my buddy Stacy Sirigano back in Jersey. Every time I'd see me, I was coaching in high school and say, You're a boy, a ball, a dream. And really, that really epitomized my life. You're 80 years old. Do you ever see an end to this for yourself, the broadcasting? <laughs> oh, man. I'll tell you. I'm 80 years old. I still play tennis, singles. I'm not playing right now because of the coronavirus thing. But I, what I do, and I would recommend people do it out there. If I could do it, they could do it. Every day without fail, I wear every day. I walk a minimum of an hour. I get on light weights all the time. I try to eat intelligently. And I've been very blessed in my life that I didn't develop any habits in terms of smoking or alcohol, abuse, etc. So the bottom line is, I think all of that's helped me to get where I'm at. But if you walk every day, I read an article. My son was a surgeon. He told me the same thing. He said, it builds your immune system. And today, it's very important to do that. So that would be my recommendation to all you guys, all the people out there listening uh, to Lesson to Vic. Uh, make sure you exercise. Be a little selfish. Take care of yourself. Great stuff, Dick. Hey, really appreciate it. Oh, no problem. No problem at all. Okay, time for a break. We'll be right back with Dr. Naresh Mandava from the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. We Are Unstoppable is sponsored by the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. You know, Les, when I got hit with prostate cancer, it's the first place I turned to because I know the Anschutz Campus, they really delve into breakthrough technology. If there's something new on the horizon, I know they've got it. And I was hit with lung cancer, and that's where I get treated as well, at the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. They've got me up and running. They've made me unstoppable. Lest they've made us unstoppable, and they're located right here in the heart of the Rocky Mountain region. We are joined by Dr. Naresh Mandava. He is the chair and executive director of the Sue Anschutz Rogers Centers at the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. He is also an ophthalmologist and a retina specialist. Hello, Dr. Mandava. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me, Les. Doctor, in the previous part of this show, we spoke with Dick Vitale, the college basketball analyst, about how a childhood accident left him blind in one eye. Can you please give us an overview of what you and your team are doing at the centers to help treat eye disease and to prevent blindness? 
Absolutely. So um, the Sioux Ranchers Rogers Eye Centers, um, uh, located in the Denver metro area, the hub of the eye centers is at the on the Anschutz Medical Campus, and our focus is in providing eye care from children to adulthood to uh, the later ages of life. And we do we we have specialists and generalists who take care of uh, individuals with the most complex eye issues as well as the most simple eye issues. And uh, the unique opportunity we have is the only academic eye center. The Sioux Entrance Rogers Eye Centers are the only academic eye center from Canada to Mexico and Salt Lake City to really Kansas City and St. Louis. So every day, our 80-some-odd faculty see patients from, you know, eight or nine states um, routinely and uh, are able to take care of individuals that have, you know, some of the, the, the most rare diseases as well as the most complex ish, eye issues that anybody can see, really. I do want to delve more into what you and your team are doing at the Colorado Institute's medical campus. But first, I, I want to go back to Dick Vitale for a second. Now, his accident happened approximately 75 years ago. What could you have done if that had happened today? What could you have done for him to, to help him? Yeah, and I, and, I heard, and I recently heard about uh, uh, Dick's um, um, accident, and I think he was five years old, and it was a pencil that perforated the eye. And Correct. I'm not sure how, you know, how it happened or the severity of the damage, but clearly it was in that area, it was extra, extraordinary damage, and he lost the eye and was not able to see. And that's why the eye began to drift. You know, in this era, if we routinely, our faculty routinely, see patients acutely with trauma. Um, so we would have been called a five-year-old with a perforation um, of the eyeball with a, a pencil. And fortunately in this era, we can remove uh, material like lead pieces in the eye, uh, graphite pieces in the eye. We can remove wood from the eye. We can uh, often uh, close the eye up and restore the structure of the eye. Sometimes, unfortunately, there's damage to the retina and other vital structures in the eye um, that we can't repair. But almost, uh, I would say the majority of the time, we can uh, operate on the eye, reattach the retina. We can, um, we can uh, remove blood from the eye, remove debris from the eye, and restore sight um, for patients. It, it was the drifting eye that, that caused him to be bullied. You know how kids are. Um, how can you help people who have this condition today? Because it's not uncommon, is it? It's not uncommon. And I think in Dick's case, the eye drifted because of the loss of vision. And because the eye doesn't have anything to focus on, it can just migrate. And the eye is complex. It's, it's actually has six muscles that move it in different directions. And those muscles are coordinated by the brain. If the brain doesn't get an image, it can't coordinate which way those muscles or pulleys are moving the eye. So in this era today, if the eye goes way out and it's a blind eye, we can actually move muscles and bring it back in. The problem is often if there's no sight, then it can drift a little bit out again. But we can really almost all of the time get it cosmetically um, appealing for the patient. You know, in terms of... Um, the, the bullying situation, clearly that's a common issue for our pediatric eye surgeons. And we, at, you know, the eye doctors here at the CU Anschutz campus, 
see our children often at the children's hospital and we have our full-time faculty seeing those kids. And so drifting eyes or crossing eye is a very common pediatric eye disorder that can go into adulthood and the bullying can start in childhood and continue into adulthood. And fortunately, almost all of the time we can fix the, the kid's eyes to get them straight so they don't go through that, that turmoil that uh, Dick went through. I understand you're also using people's own stem cells to help return their eyesight. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and in Dick's case, for example, um, he had trauma to the eye. They, they deemed they couldn't, you know, fix the inside of the eye. And in this era, we probably could have gotten the structures of the eye together, but we may have been left with a retina that was not functional. And the retina is actually nerve tissue that's an extension of the brain that goes through the optic nerve into the eye. And you cannot, um, you cannot currently transplant the retina and bring back sight. Our hope is to transplant that nerve tissue that is the retina so that the, the patient can see again. Um, and we have developed a program called CellSight, C-E-L-L-S-I-G-H-T, um, and cell sight plays on the words of cell, which is transplanting cells, and sight, which is the ultimate hope to bring back sight to our patients who are blind. And what we're doing is we're taking an organism's, and now currently we're working in animals, we're taking the organism's own cells, whether they're skin cells or blood cells, and then we're, we're basically taking the induced pluripotent stem cells from that tissue and growing retina. Wow. In the lab, we're able to grow retina and then transplant. We're actively transplanting those cells into animals currently, and we're detecting some ability of those animals to see. So the hope ultimately would be to create a transplant for a human that uses the patient's own cells, because, you know, if you transplant exogenous cells, other person's cells into somebody, you have to immunosuppress them for their whole life, et cetera. Here we're taking the patient's own cells, growing retina, transplanting it, that removes the need for immunosuppression, and then hopefully bringing back sight. And we're very optimistic that we'll be able to do that eventually. It's a large project, a lot of investment, but we're very hopeful that we'll be able to do that in the future. Dr. Mandava, um, I've been stalking you on Google. I hope that doesn't sound creepy, but I found out after doing my research that you originally wanted to be a neurosurgeon, but then you went into um, ophthalmology. Um, so you've been fighting eye disease for almost your entire professional life. What has made you unstoppable when it comes to finding out how to correct all of these problems with the eye? You know, I mean, I think that the secret sauce that we have here on the Anschutz campus is we were able to recruit the top people in the country in each of these fields. And if you, you're talking about the eye, it's a very small structure, obviously, but there's so many complicated areas. There's the retina, there's diseases like glaucoma and uh, the way the eye connects to the brain, neuro-ophthalmology, inflammatory disorders in the eye like uveitis. And only by pulling together the top people in the country are we able to to provide the most state-of-the-art care. And we have depth in every one of these subspecialties with over, you know, 50 surgeons and, uh, and eye care specialists. But I think, again, that secret sauce is the people and the excitement around that for the, all of those people is the opportunity and the privilege to bring back sight to people. 
I mean, if the joy that one gets from that I've received over the years from taking somebody who can't see and bringing them back the opportunity to see their loved ones, to be able to work and provide for their families and to uh, interact with other people in a very special way that sight brings, I, I can't imagine something more rewarding. So for all of us here, I think that opportunity to every day bring back sight and to potentially bring back sight to people that really had no hope of getting sight one day. And we've done that in many areas. Um, I think that excitement is what keeps us going and is what gives us the opportunity to find solutions for problems, right? That's the excitement that's created around it. Right. And, and when I watch videos of your work, I, it literally brings tears to my eyes. So thank you for what you do. Dr. Naresh Mandava, he is the chair and executive director of the Sue Anschutz Rogers Centers at the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. Dr. Mandava, thank you for your time. Thank you so much, Les. Thanks for listening to We Are Unstoppable, sponsored by the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. You want more Unstoppable Stories? Subscribe to our podcast wherever you find and listen to podcasts. You can even ask your smart speaker to play We Are Unstoppable podcasts. And you can visit us at our website, unstoppablepodcasts.com, for more episodes and ways to subscribe. That's unstoppablepodcasts.com. Subscribe today. Subscribe today.